the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We're continuing in the first chapter of Second Thessalonians, and last week we uh, left off with verse 5. And as we get back in there, I want to remind you that Paul is seeking to comfort these young believers because they're undergoing persecution. They're undergoing a good bit of affliction and, and trials. I also remind you that, that Paul is very proud of them because they stand unflinching, as he calls it, unflinching, undeterred in their faith. They don't move. There's something about their tenacity and their belief that holds them in place. Persecution doesn't seem to make a difference. Their devotion to Christ is unmoved. I also remind you that these little Thessalonians, these these new believers, they hadn't gone to seminary, they hadn't gone to school, they had very little teaching, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have any of the things that we have nowadays. And, and all they had was a hostile environment around them and Jesus within them beside their fellow believers. Now, I know a lot of Christians who wouldn't survive. Because if they can't get up in the morning and turn brother so-and-so on, and then read so-and-so's devotional, and then listen to the Christian radio, and then what? They can't keep it together. They can't hold themselves in truth without all of these outside sources. They're used to being spoon-fed, and they're not used to depending upon the life that is within them. Do you find yourself that way? The reality is that these Thessalonians, because they didn't have all of these things, were dependent upon the life that was within them and within their fellow believers. All they had was the letters that Paul sent them. So what made them willing to suffer without compromise? What did they know that made suffering make sense? Well, it wasn't what they knew. It was who they had come to know. They were not holding on to what they knew about Jesus. They were holding on to a relationship that they'd learned to walk in. Big difference. Tonight we're going to actually go from verse 6 to verse 9, but I want to read to you, starting in verse 3 of Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 to verse 9. We ought and indeed are obligated as those in debt to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, 
as is fitting because your faith is growing exceedingly and the love of every one of you each toward the other is increasing and abounds. And this is a cause of our mentioning you with pride among the churches, assemblies of God, for your steadfastness, your unflinching endurance and patience, and your firm faith in the midst of all the persecutions and the crushing distresses and afflictions under which you are holding up. This is positive proof of the just and right judgment of God to the end that you may be deemed deserving of his kingdom, a plain token of his fair verdict which designs that you should be made and counted worthy of the kingdom of God for the sake of which you are also suffering. It is a fair decision since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with distress and affliction those who distress and afflict you. And to recompense you who are so distressed and afflicted by granting you relief and rest along with us, your fellow sufferers, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in a flame of fire to deal out retribution, chastisement, and vengeance upon those who do not know or perceive or become acquainted with God, and upon those who ignore and refuse to obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Such people will pay the penalty and suffer the punishment of everlasting ruin, destruction, and perdition, and eternal exclusion and banishment from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, Paul begins by praising these Thessalonians for standing, and he says that, and for their faith, which is growing exceedingly, and their love for one another, it's increasing and abounds, as he says. Now, this cannot be explained in terms of their religious devotion. It cannot be explained in terms of their character. The only way that this is going on in their lives, in the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this affliction, the only way that this could truly be explained is by the life that is within them. Because nothing on the exterior is compelling them to grow in faith. Nothing on the exterior is compelling them to grow in love with one another. But the life within them is, and they are growing. As I said last week, their standing firm through persecution did not make them worthy. It proved them worthy. It showed them to be true children of God. Paul says in verse 5 that God made them worthy of the kingdom of God, and they proved his verdict fair and just. Look at verse 6. He says, it's a fair decision, since it is a righteous thing with God, to repay with distress and afflictions those who have distress and afflict you. And I like the fact that the Amplified uses this word, but he used it, they use it twice, and that is the word fair. You know, we often make judgments about what is fair. I remember, you know, the kids will always say, well, that's not fair. You hear that all the time. But we're not to judge what is fair, because we can't see the end of things. We must remember that fair is actually decided in eternity. It's not decided in the moment. Fair is what God says and does. We are never to judge fairness, but to believe the God who is fair. We cannot judge the end by looking at the beginning. And you know what? So much truth in that. So much truth in that. If we can just stand in the character of who God is, we can endure a great deal more. 
Because we know that He is just. Because we know that He is fair. Because we know that He is loving. Because we know that He is our provision. Because we know all these things about our God. We do not need to sit about and make judgments about our situation. We do not need to sit about and make judgments about people around us. Our circumstances. We don't need to weigh these things out. We need to put our hope and faith in the God who is just. Who is fair. Because as I said in the beginning, how right are your judgments? And you know, we always get drug away into comparisons. Fairness is always an issue of comparison, isn't it? Most of the time. It's not fair. He got the girl and I didn't. It's not fair. They have a nicer car than we do. It's not fair. Her husband is faithful and mine is not. It's not fair. My kids are rebellious and her kids are obedient. It's not fair. It's not fair they have money and I don't. It's not fair. But the thing we've got to realize is that we have a very intimate and loving God who's involved in every detail of our life. And he is interested in us, in not just in us behaving a certain way, but in the uniqueness that he made us for. He doesn't want... Todd to act like Pat, and he doesn't want Pat to act like Todd. He made Pat to be Pat with his life. And he made me to be Todd with his life. And if I understand that, if I've got that down, then this, this is what it frees me from. I don't have to be like him. I won't compare my life to him. I won't say he's got more and I've got less. And here's the thing. When we look over time, when we look over the, over the months and the years, and we let the, let the years speak against the moments, we recognize that those things that were most burdensome, those things that were the biggest trial for us last year, we hardly remember this year, don't we? I mean, they're gone. The things that vexed us most two years ago, where are they today? The bottom line is that God is doing a work in us, and it is progressive. And He is bringing us along in His own time. And we don't need to be making judgments, and we don't need to be making comparisons. We need to put our focus upon Him. We don't say that one is doing better than the other. They could have looked about and they could have said, you know what, we're suffering for our faith, but those people over there, they're Christians and nobody's persecuting them. That could have been their attack. Romans 8.18, Paul says, But what of that? For I consider the sufferings of this present time, this present life, are not worth being compared with the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us and for us and conferred on us. When Paul says, he talks about this, it is a righteous thing with God. And what he's basically saying is that it is a righteous thing with God because it's who he is. When our God behaves righteously, he is not upholding a standard. He is behaving according to his character, to who he is. It is true of God, and you know what? It's true of you if you're a child of God. So God's not coming against those who come against Todd or come against Pat. He is making judgment against those who come against or align themselves against righteousness, against His Son, against who He is. 
Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, To recompense you who are so distressed and afflicted by granting you relief and rest along with us, your fellow sufferers. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flame of fire. You know, God rewards the persecuted with rest and relief. And the Thessalonians were suffering. So here's the thing you've got to know, is that the consolation that Paul would confer upon him is the consolation that he holds to himself. He talks about the coming of Jesus. Well, let me distill it down. Where's Paul's rest? Where's Paul's hope? Jesus. What's Paul trusting in? What's Paul believing in? Jesus. What is seeing Paul through this time of tribulation? Who is he trusting with this little congregation that he's not able to nurture and be in the midst of? Who is he believing is going to guide and direct and be life to them in the midst of all this trial? Who's he trusting in? Jesus. And what of Jesus' return? What Paul is illustrating is that Jesus is true to who he is. And one day he is going to bring everything into the reality that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. But in the midst of all these things, we walk in the truth that we have that life within us. We have Jesus as our life. And Paul says that's the hope. You can look forward to this. He is rest. He brings to us rest. Notice that he says he brings rest to the believers and recompense to the unbelievers. And he talks about Jesus returning in the flame of glory or in the flame of fire with the, with the mighty angels. And what, he's, what he's talking about there is the second coming. Christ is coming again. And we talked about the day of the Lord. There's a difference between the rapture and the day of the Lord. And you all remember this. We studied this in 1 Thessalonians. The rapture is when he takes all the believers up. The day of the Lord is when he comes back in judgment. And he's referencing the day of the Lord. And here's the picture. There's a verse in Acts that describes the day of the Lord and what the day of the Lord looks like. And what it looks like is that the sun will turn black and the moon will turn to blood. You think it's going to be a little dark? You see, the truth of the matter is, the sun will turn black and the moon will turn to blood. And what's going to happen is that everything is going to be in this cataclysmic disaster. Everything is going to be going completely haywire upon the earth. And no longer will the people of this earth be able to blame all these disasters on some natural event. No longer will they be able to explain away what's going on around them. And then in the midst of these things, the heavens are going to open up and it says Jesus will be coming back with his mighty angels from heaven. He will be revealed from heaven. Well, what's going to happen is that the separation between earth and heaven is going to open before their eyes and the glory and the brightness of heaven itself is going to shine forth and Jesus is going to step forth with the mighty angels and with flame of fire and he is going to reveal himself to the world. A Jesus they cannot explain away. A Jesus that they cannot dismiss. One day... Every believer will enter into the rest that Paul talks about. One day, every believer will enter into the fullness of that rest where the cares and the troubles of this world and of this body will no longer afflict us. But we know that rest now, don't we? 
We can and we do know that rest now. Now here's an interesting thing about it. The believer is is secured in the truth that he is God's child and God lifts him up from this place and takes him unto himself. And that's, that's glory. And the believer gets all that he was promised. The unbeliever also gets what he wants. The unbeliever actually gets what he wants because the whole of his life he has been rejecting God and he has been trying to get away from God. He has been trying to get out of the influence of God. He didn't want God spoke to him. He doesn't want God around him. Well, God's going to grant the desire of his heart by granting him total separation from God's presence. But what the unbeliever doesn't realize is that he will also be separated from God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, and all that the unbeliever takes for granted about his existence on this earth will escape him. As believers, we have the rest of his presence in our spirit where we are in union with Christ. We will only experience rest at this place in the spirit But if we want to experience rest in the mind, will, and emotions, we have to yield to his presence in his life. We have to allow that rest. We have to allow the rest of his presence to have precedence in our soul. Now, the bottom line is this. That the Spirit of God, if you're a child of God, is in union with you. And whenever we speak of rest, for us, rest is spiritual, it's supernatural. It's not in the body. Rest is not in the body. What the world calls rest is not rest. How many of you know people who have everything that that should offer them some sense of pleasure and rest, but they're restless, aren't they? They really don't have rest. They think, when these things line up in my life, then I will be able to rest. But they never get there. It never arrives. There is a rest that God has for us. But that rest is always in his presence. That rest is never apart from him. It is what he brings to us and we enter into by virtue of his life within us. As believers, we can rest in his presence. We will experience the rest of the soul and the mind, will, and emotions. When Christ returns, our rest will be complete. There will be no more turmoil in the soul. There will be no more pain in the body. And we can truly rest. But for now, we rest by faith. We determine to enter into rest. Hebrews 4.11 says, Let us therefore be zealous and exert ourselves and strive diligently to enter that rest of God, to know and experience it for ourselves, that no one may fall or perish by the same kind of unbelief and disobedience into which those in the wilderness fell. And what he's referencing, the writer of Hebrews speaks of a rest that Israel refused to enter into because they refused to enter into this promised land. If you remember the Old Testament, the Lord took them out of Egypt. He literally delivered them out of Egypt, brought them right up to the border of the promised land and told them to go in, this is for you. And they refused to go in because they would not trust God enough to face the giants. They would not face the giants in the land. So therefore, they never entered into that rest. They would not make the effort to go forward in faith. We must determine to believe God and trust in God. This is not passivity or resignation, but a determination to believe that God will bring us forward. 
Trust in the God who has delivered you. And that's what he, what God expected of the, well, I don't want to say expected. God knows what's going to happen. God wanted from the Israelites, but he didn't get. And that's what God wants from you, to trust in the God that delivers you. And again, we go back to what I said earlier, trusting the truth of your relationship with God. Has everybody in this room at one time or another been delivered by his hand? Have you not been healed by his hand? Have you not been provided for by his hand? And we enter into these situations and circumstances where we refuse to enter into his rest. We refuse to enter into his rest until we have exhausted every other option. And you know what it says about the Israelites? They fell in the wilderness. Well, look at the options. Rest, wilderness. Now, I'll tell you something. I have spent a lot of time in the wilderness. And rest is much better. Rest is the place where I recognize the provision of God, but it is not the place where I sit back and wait for God to do it. It's the place where I go forward in confidence and faith that the strength of God, the power of God, the life of God will be my victory. That's what they refuse to enter into. And in the case of the Thessalonians, the rest that they must enter into is the rest of trust in a God that was going to keep them in the face of persecution. How would you like to wake up in the morning and have no prospect of anything fun or light happening to you? How about waking up in the morning and wondering how you are going to escape the hostility of people around you all day long? How you are going to avoid being noticed? How you are going to avoid being persecuted? How would you like those thoughts? Do you think the enemy could have a little fun with you, raising fear in your soul, working you up? Well, I know people who don't have near the issues that these guys had, and they live this way. A lot of them are out there driving. I don't know if you've been around, but they're pretty hostile out there sometimes. It's pretty crazy. Well, the issue is that they have not entered into a rest. They have not entered into the truth that they have a God who has kept them and delivered them and will continue to deliver them. The only way that these Thessalonians could stand in this kind of truth was to know in their heart by faith that their God would keep them. Paul says that Jesus will be coming from heaven. And he talks about the mighty angels in a flame of fire. And you know what Paul's doing? He's painting a middle image for these persecuted people. He's giving them a picture to hold on to. He wants them to see in their mind what God they serve. He wants them to feel the truth of what they've been told about his return. So he says to them, know that he will return and you will be delivered and you will have rest. You notice in that verse, in verse 7, he uses words, the Amplifier uses words, and those words are like obvious, great, notable and conspicuous day. And that's because the people of the earth will still have refused to recognize God in the midst of wars, famine, in the midst of natural disasters that defy imagination. They will have completely explained away the rapture, and they will put all their faith in the Antichrist. And you, you know, 25 years ago, if you were to ask me if America could turn its back on God, I would have said... Well, I'm not sure that would happen. I mean, we got in with God we trust on the on the dollar bill. I mean, we're, we're one nation under God. It's in our pleasure. You know, 
I wouldn't have thought that would have been happening. Would you have ever guessed, for those of you who are old enough, 25 years ago we would be where we are today as a country in terms of what they believe about our... I'm telling you that the people of the United States are losing their godly heritage. And you know what? They're becoming hostile against God. They're trying to remove God out. That's what's going on out there. Well, why, why am I bringing that up? I'm not trying to get on the bandwagon. I hear a lot of people beating the drum and ringing the bell trying to get us all lathered up. But, you know, here's the reality of it. What God said was going to happen is going to happen. People are going to become so obstinate in their unbelief that they're not even going to recognize the God of the rapture. They'll explain it away. They're not going to recognize the God of these cataclysmic events. They're not going to recognize the fulfillment of prophecy in the Word of God. They're going to be completely blind to these things. And because of their determination not to see God, they'll see the Antichrist as God. They'll choose Him. It's going to be a very big awakening for them. Paul says, Jesus will be revealed out of heaven when the world is blind to him. But here's the thing, Jesus will come in his deity. He will come as God and king and conqueror. And the world and the enemy will no longer be able to deny him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. You know, the day of the Lord is not retribution for suffering Christians. Jesus is not just coming back to punish the people that persecuted the Christians. It is a just punishment for all those who have rejected the Son of God. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation, rest in His life moment by moment, and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, Visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.